Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. This episode is part of a summer book club that I'm hosting on this podcast. In efforts to read and write more on topics related to race and injustice, I decided to log out of my Instagram account for the summer, and I'm instead focusing my time and energy here. Thanks for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm excited to have two guests on the podcast. We're going to be talking about a new book called Blackness Interrupted, Black Psychology Matters by Nicole Osborne and Tamara Gittens. I'm going to start out by giving a little bit of their background and their bios, and we're going to kind of jump into the conversation to talk about this new book. So Tamara attended Clara Barton High School, where she graduated with a medical assistant certification after two years of clinical rotations at Kings County Hospital. She obtained her bachelor's degree in forensic psychology at John Jay College and then obtained her master's degree in school counseling at New York University. She worked as a school counselor at a middle school for three years, where she advocated for students to help eliminate all barriers to ensure positive and successful school years. Through social, emotional, academic, and career development, she helped her students excel and reach their full potential right in time for high school. She is currently at Medale College, finishing up her second master's degree in mental health counseling. Nicole obtained two associate degrees, one in pre-med biology and one in psychology at OCCC. Nicole obtained her bachelor's degree in forensic psychology at John Jay College and then obtained her master's degree in social work at Fordham University. Nicole is currently working on her PsyD doctorate in clinical psychology at Southern California University. She worked as a social worker for three years at JASA in a community guardianship program. Nicole is currently working as a researcher helping with the COVID-19 pandemic, and as a therapist. She is currently obtaining her pre-doctoral hours, practicum, and internship in Hawaii, and she hopes to conduct her postdoctoral hours there as well. So with those introductions, I welcome you both onto the podcast. How are y'all doing today? Great. Really good this morning. Really good. Really good. Listeners, we're talking across time zones here. So Nicole is in Hawaii right now. So she, it's like 8 a.m. and she just finished her breakfast. Whereas uh, Tamara and I are on the East Coast and we're sitting in the middle of the afternoon. So thank you both for uh, making time to be here today. Absolutely. I've definitely been looking forward to this interview because when I actually heard about Blackness Interrupted from a mental health blog that I follow, and if the the, the title alone grabbed me, but then when I read that, that person's review of the book, I immediately knew that I had to read this and learn more. And obviously, Blackness Interrupted Black Psychology Matters fits perfectly with this podcast theme of normalizing mental health challenges and services for people of color. So both of you share with the listeners how the two of you came to writing this book. Yes. So at the end of 2020, like closer to Christmas, I was looking up psychology gifts and um, I came across this bag that I found, which had the normal white psychologist that you see, Freud, Skinner, and Klein, and all of these people. Mm-hmm. At the end of the bag, I saw a woman named Nanny Phipps Clark, and um, I happened to be texting Tamara. So I said to her, do you know who this person is? I don't know who the, this person is. So we're trying to figure out who this lady is. We then began researching and looking up information regarding her and right in that moment is when our blackness was interrupted Mm. like 
we realized at that point in time, wow, we are graduate students and we don't know one psychiatrist or psychologist that is black. We were never taught one. And just to see her pop up there at the end was of the bag was just, you know, really eye opening. And so from that discovery, Tamara and I began this, we call it passion, but we started to obsess over our blackness. Like, okay, let's talk every Sunday and let's um, discuss people that we find. What did they do? How did they contribute to the field of psychology? What's black psychology? Like just all of these things started happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it was due to relatability because it's so nice to see people that look like you in this field and to learn Absolutely. about them and who paved the way. The other side was just feeling like you were cheated through Eurocentric curriculums, cheated from understanding what makes you you and your self-potential and your self-worth. So, you know, from the couple weeks of researching turned into let's write a book. It was as quick as that. And, you know, that really confirmed everything for us because that piggybacks off of the fact that our blackness was interrupted and we just felt in that point in time we had decided it was no longer going to be. So um, it was as simple as that. It wasn't anything planned. It was very spontaneous in the sense of, you know, after finding this out, we just wanted to do more. That's awesome. How about you, Tamara? Yeah, I usually let Nicole take this question because we've been asked this many times and I feel like she tells the story the best, but that's literally how it went. Like, I really felt, it was a lot of feelings because how do you feel when your black is interrupted? And that's how we came with the name, which was kind of a back and forth, but it definitely, we felt like black is interrupted definitely described how we were feeling and what has actually happened. Um, due to Eurocentric curriculums and going through graduate school and not seeing representation or anyone that that looks like you and then knowing your history because um, with Black psychology, like some people don't even think that that's a, a term or a thing that should be recognized. So just like being able to find Black psychologists that actually contribute to Black psychology and actually made others aware of how psychology kind of affects black people because psychology has always been um centralized around um white people so mm-hmm. it was definitely a a a, a, a amazing process working with nicole making the book and just finding the people and doing the research as you probably know, or, or if you don't know, like it's, it's super difficult even finding information on some of these people. Absolutely. Um, so <laughs> that by itself was a task. And then we got it down to who we wanted to write about. And then like all the other pieces came later about like self-care and how to find a therapist and things mm-hmm. like that. So it all came together. And like at the end, we were just like in awe of what we made. Yeah, that's so important. And for me, also being a person of color in the field of psychology, I didn't realize how needed this book was until I read the description. And I, it like, like you said, your blackness is interrupted. You know, nowhere in my six years of higher education in psychology and counseling was I ever taught about a significant black figure in the history of psychology. There's, whole, there's a whole course yeah. on the history of psychology that you take in undergrad. Exactly. And so I personally believe that this book fills a gap and should be required reading for all, you know, psychology programs and graduate programs. That's kind of, I guess, how my blackness was interrupted just discovering this book because I made it through all these years of higher education. And I guess I'm, you know, people of color, we get so used to being a minority and navigating that, but we don't realize how pervasive Eurocentrism is to our society and obviously hand in hand with white supremacy, right? So, yeah. So, tell the listeners why the accomplishments of Black psychologists seems to be erased from the textbooks or not there at all to begin with. Yeah. So, this is a loaded question and I have a lot to say about this. But, um, I really think 
this question kind of speaks on the way the American education system addresses Black history. So the history of African-Americans begins on the African continent, where diverse empires thrive for thousands of years, traded gold, ivory, salt, all those things with other civilizations. But in the majority of classrooms, K-12 across the United States, students kind of learn about African-American heritage starting with the enslavement um, in the U.S. colonies. So, like, what does that do for us? Again, lack of representation. We don't see ourselves or our accomplishments, and it directly affects, like, our identity development. And it's a form of systemic racism. So when it comes to psychology, I think the discipline has been used to uphold systems of oppression um, as evidenced by the use of psychological research. In the book, we talk about the eugenics movement Mm -hmm. um, and the pioneers of that, such as like Francis Galton, um, and then the pathological views of the BIPOC communities. And it's promoted through psychological testing and assessments. So for those of you who do not know what eugenics is, it's another word for selective breathing of humans. And there are many examples of states actually forcibly sterilizing people, usually minority populations or people of color, um, because Nicole hates when I use the word minority. So yeah. <laughs> um, under eugenic pro- eugenics programs. So if we go even further back during slavery, the colonists wanted to ensure that Black people's minds were colonized. And to this end, many theories were developed by white psychologists to prove the inferiority of the Black mind. Mm. So one of the consequences was that psychology really didn't speak to or respond to the lived realities of Black people. So fast forward to today, the problem is still very apparent. There's no representation in our textbooks. And Black psychology, as I said, like, isn't even a thing in college. And in the book, we really speak about, like, the lack of diversity in psychology as only, like, 5% of the psychologists in America are Black. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, one of the reasons why. There's a demonstration that the discipline is not a place where we matter, where we're welcomed, and where we're reflected. So understanding our history and learning about how the Black mental health professionals directly contribute to psychology to include us and our lived experience is paramount. And I think definitely a stepping stone for other Black people wanting to get into psychology. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And something that came to mind as you were sharing that all three of us have master's degrees in counseling, right? Mm -hmm. So... I think back to graduate school where I had to take the, well, we all did, I'm sure, had to take the course in multicultural counseling as it applied to Mm -hmm. our profession. When I was reading your book, there were so many moments where my blackness was interrupted because it hit me. I remember when I was in the class how dumb it was because I learned nothing new about multiculturalism. It was taught by a white person, and it almost was taught with the energy that this is just a hoop you have to jump through. This is part of a K-CREP accreditation process to, like, throw this in. It was almost like an afterthought, like, sprinkled into the program. And when the people up top don't take it seriously, obviously, the students aren't going to get much out of it. But it dawned on me that while I had to write papers about applying understanding of different cultures within the field of counseling, how the program itself, the whole degree, 60 credit hour degree that I was getting had no, it was all white psychology. So it, I find it ironic after the fact that we had a class about multiculturalism, but the program itself was completely Eurocentric. What are y'all's thoughts on that? It's not ironic, right? Because they are expecting what. So back it up a little bit, right? You said that we all went to, you know, we have our masters and we have that, um, you know, the history of psychology. But black psychology is an actual discipline and that's not even talked about, right? So in saying that, we've only learned white psychology. All these papers and all of these assignments that are assigned to us help push white psychology forward while we negate black psychology. So of course you have these assignments. You can go on Google right now and type in top psychologists and there will only be white psychologists because we have contributed to that research. We every day you got, I can't tell you how many papers I wrote on Freud. I don't have one paper on Mammy Phipps Clark's Mm. thus 
come there and I had uh, extreme difficulty finding resources and support. Thus, we wrote this book to add as a resource and um, support for people to hopefully cite and continue to, you know, try and catch up. But that's what it is. You spent six years writing papers on white people. Mm. I, I'm sure yeah. I'm not the only person of color who made it through all of that and almost zoned out on the fact that there was no mention of people that looked like me. So when I read the book, I know that I was, and there were a couple of instances where there were very influential people doing stuff in the same labs and in the same experiments mm -hmm. as the people we learned about. But of course they didn't get any credit for their contributions. Right. Basically. And that, that, <laughs> that is kind of the staple of what America and white people do, right? They kind of just take other people's ideas and make it their own. So mm -hmm. that is definitely just what happened in psychology also. I can definitely agree with you that the multicultural counseling class was a waste of time. And I think it's just something to be put into the curriculum to say that they met that standard, but it mm -hmm. doesn't really teach you or teach anyone um, how to counsel different kinds of people um it's like unfortunate right it's yeah it's kind of like ethics i have definitely argued with a lot of professors over ethics because i'm just like what that don't make any sense um, so i love that i'm not the only yeah. one that argued with professors mm -hmm. you have to we have to argue and we have to be we have to not fear the fact that we're angry black women more than advocating for our roots and our culture that cannot, that has to supersede. We have to teach our youth that it's okay to ask the teacher in kindergarten, are any of these books by Black authors? It's okay to ask, are we learning about anyone Black? It's okay because when we don't ask, we think that we're woke and our Blackness is interrupted. Hmm. I've never it's heard okay, of this term. because we have to. The term Blackness interrupted before, but I'm loving it. It's going <laughs> to, it's going to catch on. <laughs> We are the two. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely do. I honestly I forgot what the other title was, but um oh, I wanted it's so funny when we're talking about the title because I wanted involuntary whiteness. <laughs> and we went back and forth <laughs> in regards to that mm -hmm. because it's involuntary to me. But then we ultimately went with blackness interrupted, but it's involuntary because who who would want to sit there and learn about these people? I am so whited out i don't even know what to tell you hmm. and it's as i'm exhausting definitely and as i'm even like looking down at the title right now it kind of has nuance to it so you can see it as okay blackness interrupted we we know what that is but then it's kind of you could say it well black psychology matters or it can be black psychology matters kind of like black lives matter black psychology matters but then Right. We're also talking about, like you said, it's there are two different studies here. There's white psychology and then there's black psychology. There are matters related to the experience of being black as it pertains to the field of psychology. So I, I don't know if that was on purpose, but I I just caught that, that there's there's kind of different ways to look at the title. And it does a good job capturing what y'all are trying to do here. Absolutely. I think that was the goal. That was definitely the goal is to have, you know, something that grabs people and, and plants the seed, not something that you can read and then that's just it. Mm -hmm. You know, blackness interrupted is so, is you know, to each his own. And the many examples of that from microaggressions to systemic racism to whatever that looks like. So I think that that's great that you're able to compartmentalize that and hopefully everyone is. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so my next question is that in releasing this book, what are some hopes and goals that you have for the field of psychology? Well, let's let's rephrase our terms now. What are some of the, <laughs> the hopes and goals that you have for the field of black psychology and for the black community as a whole? I think that we definitely <laughs> we definitely want people to be more invested in themselves. On one hand, it's like, well, you know, we were um, not allowed to learn about ourselves, but understanding we do have that control and propelling ourselves in the right direction. I We want more people to go to school for psychology. Mm -hmm. We want more Blacks mm -hmm. to go to school for psychology, especially with the pandemic, but just in general, we need more of us. We need more of us on master level. We definitely need more doctorates. Mm 
-hmm. as you know, Tamara was saying previously, there's 2% of black psychiatrists in the world. That's not speaking about how many there are black women and black males. Mm. And the same thing with psychologists, 4% right now. And that is because up through the 60s, you know, we weren't able to go to school because we were black. 60s. Mm. So it's like we have to go to school. We have to do these things. We have to continue to advocate for our community and give back. Mm -hmm. Because what I don't understand and what really drives me up the wall in regards to education and blacks and systemic racism is that whites are not multiculturally competent because they're not learning black psychology. Mm -hmm. They cannot help us and understand us and assess us in the way that we need to be. They also don't have incentive to be multiculturally competent either, unless we kind of raise our voice about it. Exactly. So, you know, not focusing on, you know, who has time to encourage them to do better? I don't. So let's just do better for ourselves, longevity. And let's, you know, psychology is the way of the world, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And everything has to do with human behavior. So I just, you know, want Black people and to just understand that it's important to know why you do what you do when you do it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I can, I can piggyback off of that. That's definitely my hope as well, just to get us more into psychology and help in the fight to make everyone aware of our history in psychology. As well as to help the Black community as a whole when it comes to therapy, because there's still that stigma in our community, although it's getting better with our generation. But at the end of it, relatability and representation is what matters, and we're always going to be more comfortable speaking about our struggles Mm -hmm. uh, when we go to another person that looks like us and knows our experience. Like, I can't tell you how much people that I have at the clinic that um, they've been through different therapists and then when I asked just like their experience and they just like, it was just terrible. Like, I don't even want to do therapy. Like, I don't even, mm-hmm. I'm surprised I'm even opening up to you right now. And I'm like, you want to know why you open up to me? And we talk about race and we talk about these things. Yeah. Um, but all of their therapists are usually white and they have a really hard time opening up or, or even just the misdiagnosis, getting diagnosed with things that does not directly relate to how they're, what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, we can always be multi multiculturally competent, but at the end of the day, we need more of us in the field because we're always going to feel more comfortable with someone that looks like us. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say one more thing. I think that it's so discouraging, especially on this level as doctoral, because I'm having to rely so heavily on Tamara every day. Obviously, she's a very close friend of mine, but again, what goes with people not, Blacks not, you know, going higher education is that my supervisors are white so like Mm -hmm. i'm not learning how to meet the needs of like i have to do so much extra research and i have all these counter transference and things that i'm dealing with Mm -hmm. and you know the supervision is not multiculturally competent at all like you they cannot relate to me and what i'm dealing with Mm -hmm. you know so it's very difficult and not to go too off to the side but you know when you're having a racist client, what do you do with that? Things that they, you're not really taught, like how to navigate through. And it's like not enough of us to talk those things through mm-hmm. because nobody's up top. I, you know, so it's, and it's everywhere. It's not just here. So that's what comes with it too. Like how many blacks are LCSWs to give supervision? How many blacks are licensed? You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of blacks that are unlicensed because of, biased standardized testing so all of that is super important getting rid of it right like what can we do about getting rid of it we we have the manpower to vote as has been shown politically when we come together maybe getting rid of it you know we have to do more yeah definitely and something that you you just touched on that came to mind that was another blackness interrupted moment for me is the you, you have a chapter where you talk about standardized testing uh, across the board, right? So a lot of our standardized testing in the schools are, they're written with studies done primarily on white kids and a certain socioeconomic status. And it is set up for those who don't fit into that criteria to not be able to access it as well. 
But specifically, you talk about how, you know, between the three of us, we've all had to take various standardized tests to get to the different levels in our careers. And I remember it was a little over two years ago when I was studying to take my LPC exam in Virginia. I had spent my entire residency over two years in a primarily community-based setting and community-based in where I'm at is almost all people of color, Hispanic and Black, right? The the clients that we mm-hmm. serve, the test is not even addressing that. So if you, for example, have gotten training in the community setting, working with disenfranchised populations, and you go to take this test, seemingly at the end of a residency where you're supposed to know what you're doing, the test will have you feeling like you know nothing because if you answer the questions, because it's like scenarios that you have to go through, if you make decisions in the test and you answer questions from a community-based mindset, you will get all of the answers wrong because it is written to basically appeal to the stereotypical white therapist who's in a private practice office setting. And I remember just having to remind myself, you're, you're studying to learn how to take this test. You're not, this test is not determining what you actually know. So I kind of had to mute myself so that I could take the test and do it the way that I needed to, to pass. Uh, have y'all had those experiences? I actually took the LMSW twice and failed it by one point, and I know mm. I passed it. And that's because it's 170 questions and 20 is ungraded. I had no problems with standardized testing. I actually mm-hmm. test very well, but I could not relate to it. As I you read, I worked um, in New York City at JASA for three years under Article 81 guardianship, and nothing that, like my job, I worked with the most, you know, underserved people in the city. Mm -hmm. So I really had a hard time um, with the exam in terms of the next, what should you do first? The Mm -hmm. first next question, not so much the theories and all that stuff is memorization, but it really was just environmentally different for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately I've always wanted to be a doctor, so I moved forward, but I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like Mm -hmm. there should not like, I'm very comfortable in life and I'm blessed, but there's like Facebook groups where it's LMSW and LTSW where people are like, I'm taking it for the 10th time. And that breaks my heart because what what you're doing is people can't afford this shit. First of all, Mm -hmm. second of all, you're making people internalize their worth and correlating it to a test that doesn't test competency. And Mm -hmm. third, these people are passionate. This is not master level clinicians is not like something where we do this because we're we actually love doing it so it's like why are you taking people's passion from them that's what saddens me so it's like a triple whammy and that's what happens you know it's really sad and i'm sure that e triple p is just the same you know but it's not it's very difficult we should have something grandfathered in because people will literally write i'm taking this for the 10th time pray for me i have no more money i have no money for the study guide I had no money for the registration. Wow. Black people, of course. People of color. Yeah. Yeah. Just to piggyback off that, um, you said something that I really had to like get in my head that the test isn't testing competency, it's just testing how to take a test based on a white or Eurocentric perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually haven't taken the mental health counseling test yet. I'm taking it this year, but um I remember doing, I was, in, I was in test prep with a professor and a lot of the questions just was like, this don't make no sense. Like what the answer was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I was just arguing people. And then I had to like, I was so frustrated. So I had to go to Nicole and be like, Nicole, like, do you hear this? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> and she's like, Tamara, this is it's not testing competency. Like you're going to go, you're going to work with your clients the way you know how but the test is not based on what you experience and how you look with your clients. And I really have to get that in my head. And it's just like, it was just so frustrating. So. Yeah. 
I've done consultation with for people who are seeking licensure, but I I passed my exam the first time. So sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. people I've networked with will kind of have me sit in on a supervision and talk with their, you know, residents about tips for, you know, taking the exam and stuff. And like you just described, a lot of them, well, all of them are people of color who are struggling with these exams. Many, almost every one of them have failed it by one or two points. And also you got to figure we don't have the same privilege in things behind us. So like that cost of the exam is a stressor. And also to overcome what we had to overcome to get into the door of a higher education and to finish and to complete a residency, you know, all to get somewhere with this test that is completely skewed and not realistic for what we are going to do in the real world. And then it really takes a hit to the self-esteem and the confidence. A a lot of the people I've talked with who are, you know, they failed it three and four times. They are getting beat down emotionally each time they fail because this test is telling them you're not good enough. And I think it's a, it's the, the, the way that standardized testings, and I'm glad you all address this in the book. It, it definitely is, uh, you know, a, a type of trauma to have to your entire, you know, uh, earning potential, your career trajectory and everything is based on these different markers that are not designed with you in mind. It's very mm-hmm. challenging. So I'm so glad that y'all address that in the book. Say that again. It's racist. <laughs> it's racist. Yes. <laughs> it's racist. Yes. Find the lie is what I would say. Um, you are absolutely correct. And so um, to pivot, uh, as I'm thinking about, you know, this conversation, this book and everything, the coolest thing about this interview, listeners, that you are listening to is that all three of us are black psychology professionals in this field of counseling and that we're all under the age of 30. Nicole and Tamara, share with the listeners about what you two have in the works as far as advancing psychology and mental health. So one of the things that we definitely want to do is kind of follow in your footsteps, Duncan. Um, We definitely want to open our own private practice together. Um, When Nicole finishes after school and I get like city license, and that's one of our main goals. That's because one, we don't want to work for anyone. Two, Amen. we know what it's like. <laughs> right. <laughs> we know what it's like to be supervised by people that don't share the same um ethics and and, mm-hmm. and goals in regards to how to treat people and how to get therapy. Um and we kind of just feel like as you can agree that it's definitely needed for our community. Um we feel like we can definitely bring value to the community and mm-hmm. be that safe space for, for Blacks and for minority and in general. Definitely. Absolutely. And I do think on top of that, just to get a little bit deeper, um, Tamara and I have really been sitting down and strategically thinking about um, not just the business, but what that entails. Like having a business where we hire other clinicians that are Black. Mm, we don't yes. we're able to incorporate people that have bachelors and masters but aren't licensed in some capacity we have those same people you know some of the staff have for social work you have to have the certificate called SIFI so that you can get hours like no black clinician should be out there having to pay other people for hours and all the craziness that people do nowadays mm-hmm. um it's expensive to redefining be cycle too. yeah absolutely redefining psychoeducation um, as Afro-psychoeducation, where we're teaching our clinicians to utilize certain models from these psychologists and psychiatrists that we put in our book. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, having it be uh, narrative and all these other theoretical orientations that are centralized around Black experiences, like really in-depth creating this model to meet our community and people where they are is definitely something so important to us. And we always want to make sure that um, we keep that as the mission, because I think Tamara and I have spent so many of our, you know, years working other white um, 
institutions and just different spaces. And we definitely don't want to be people that um, are business owners and lose sight of our mission. Mm-hmm. You know, the mission is always and will remain to prioritize our blackness and continue to learn. And so that's what we want to be for people. I love it. And y'all are definitely on the right path. Uh, I I knew before I even set foot in grad school that I wanted to get my degree, get licensed and work for myself because I don't like working for other people. So um, y'all are definitely on the right path. And I think like you said, it's bigger than just starting a successful business and things like that, but you want to be a resource in your communities to kind of train up the, the, the workers in this field of black psychology. Um, so that when, you know, people who look like us aren't using mental health services to the same extent that our non-melanated counterparts are. So when, that starts to turn around and we start normalizing and people in the black community start to embrace mental health. We got to have the people there to serve them. And something I, I think it was Tamara earlier had mentioned, like there's nothing in your training to kind of set you up for what to do in practice. When you have like a racist client, I personally have, you know, confronted that over this past year, especially after everything happened with uh, George Floyd, people, oh, and also the the trauma of our last president. Most of my clients are not in that category, but I've had a couple of instances where I'm literally kind of like, almost feel like the rug was pulled out from under me when a client like voices, you know, racism or kind of a perspective that is hurtful to me as the clinician, that it's almost like the way that the codes of ethics is set up. If I call you out on what you're saying or doing, it's almost unethical as a uh, clinician of color to basically call out someone for racism, right? So Mm -hmm. being able to have training and other people who have kind of been through it to to guide us is so important. And I, me personally, I feel like I had to kind of just do it on my own. And I guess I had the flexibility of, you know, since I own my own company, it's, you know, if I lose a client, I lose a client, but I've definitely called some people out on racism in the sessions because we're not just here to collect a check or to, you know, complete our 60 minute session. We're definitely, a vehicle for change in the world. And I'm, I think the more that we go through this, the more we're seeing that our position from our therapy seat is actually a way of activism. I was just saying that that was the easy part, you know, kicking the person out. It's just what it does to you after that, the lingering feelings of, wow, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm trying to help him or her, and they still have the audacity to be in this space. Mm. That's the part that is hard to wrap your mind around. And that stays with you because it's just always showing they find fault and inadequacy within us. And that is why I think that we need to stop calling ourselves minorities, marginalized, and Mm. all of those things that correlate to inadequacy because there's power in the tongue. And we need to stop, you know, accepting these type of uh, terminologies that basically they're harmful. They're really harmful. And it really, you know, it matters how we speak in our language, especially about ourselves. We're not any of those things. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. So to kind of wrap up today, I, of course, want to thank y'all again for your time. This book is so needed. I haven't said it enough, but this book is definitely a game changer. And I hope that y'all are able to, you know, network with the the schools and things like that to get this into the hands of the people who choose the the books for the curriculums and stuff. I think it it's it's a starting point for people actually knowing their own history as it pertains to the field that they're studying. So real quick, I'm going to give both of y'all a chance or whoever's in charge of, you know, like social media and things like that to kind of share where people can find information about y'all and like if you have any social media accounts websites anything like that and then also mention a little about where people can find the book i'm going to be putting a link to the book in the show notes but i'm just kind of giving you the floor to self-promote yeah definitely so you can find our book 
in Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, kind of any platform that you choose, like we're there. Um, our Instagram is Black is Interrupted. Um, we definitely post a lot about <laughs> our book, about Black is Interrupted, about things that are going on all around the world as it pertains to minority, not minority, sorry, Nicole, people of color. Um, and our Facebook is also Black is Interrupted. If you want to follow us there as well. Awesome. Oh, and our website. Oh, thank you, Nicole. Our website is blackinterrupted.com. <laughs> Wonderful. I'll be sure to put a link to your website in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. And yeah, we'll definitely stay in touch. I'm looking forward to seeing how this book changes the world. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Hi, listeners. Before we hop into the sneak peek of some of the content from the book Blackness Interrupted, Black Psychology Matters, I wanted to just quickly share with y'all a development that's happened since this interview. In the interview, we talked about the importance of having people of color in supervision positions to kind of help train up the up-and-comers in the field of psychology. And as I was going back and editing the sound, I listened to the conversation again, and it inspired me to go forward and sign up for the course that I need to take so that I can be a clinical supervisor in the state of Virginia for other people that are going through the process of becoming licensed professional counselors. So um, I just kind of wanted to share that, you know, sometimes you, you talk with inspirational people and it, you know, lights a little fire under you and reminds you of the importance of using you know, your experience and things like that to give back to other people within your profession. So we're going to get into the sneak peek. I hope that y'all have enjoyed that interview with Nicole Osborne and Tamara Gittens about their new book called Blackness Interrupted, Black Psychology Matters. Be sure to check the link in the show notes to find where you can purchase this book. But to conclude here, I'm going to read through some of my highlights to kind of give you a sneak peek as to some of the content in this book. So everything that's about to follow are pieces of quotes. So check this out. This book discusses an issue-based assessment of the literature gap regarding African-American contribution to psychology in America. Worldwide leadership has failed African Americans by glorifying Eurocentric culture and blatantly disregarding African American history. Some people may ask why a book full of African Americans, specifically black psychologists and psychiatrists, is necessary, and they are precisely the issue. We'd like those same people to understand that every culture is allowed to be acknowledged. Representation does matter and cultivates an understanding of racial identity, especially for African-American descent children. The end goal is to educate those undergoing education by providing resources to make informed, comprehensive education decisions. Have you ever thought that if African-Americans knew more about their history, how that would aid in self-realization or the fulfillment of one's own potential? If African Americans knew all of the positive contributions made by those who look just like them, there would be even more role models to look up to. There is something magnificent surrounding representation and how that affects how groups of people see themselves and what they believe they can do for themselves and others. There's a reason African American history has been kept silent, aside from the fact that a lot has been lost due to slavery. The reason stems from why it was illegal for black slaves to learn how to read and write. Knowing how to read and write made us powerful, just as knowing our history would. If many of us knew how much African Americans contributed to the field, maybe there would be a different outlook on the topic of mental health. This outlook is what deters many from seeking help and reinforces the stigma around mental health in the black community. According to the Journal of Psychiatric Services, ethnic minorities are more likely to experience risk factors such as poverty and poor health that ultimately spark mental health issues. Yet, only one in three African Americans who need mental health care receives it. 
America needs African-American therapists when this ticking time bomb goes off. African-Americans with mental conditions have a more challenging time recovering because healthcare systems lack cultural competency and social stigma. The overall process causes a discrepancy. This is why having a mental health provider who is relatable with patient experience and identity is critical regarding the roads of recovery. Black people are more likely to use emergency rooms or primary care rather than mental health specialists. There is a stigma within the African-American community that if a mental health facility is sought, that means the person has a serious mental illness. They may believe that having a mental illness is a weakness, and they may be ostracized from the community if that is shared. There is a lack of education regarding mental health and how mental health professionals can assist. Therapy is not only for people who have serious mental illnesses, but also for those who would like someone to talk to for everyday problems and can assist people in becoming a better version of themselves as they see fit. Many African Americans may also believe that counselors will not understand them because of the lack of diversity in the mental health field. And so next, I'm just going to share a few of the noteworthy contributions of Black psychologists that are covered in this book. It's not all-inclusive, but here are a few that jumped out to me personally. So first up, we have Solomon Fuller, quote, Fuller faced discrimination within the medical field throughout his employment, ranging from unequal salaries and underemployment. Most of his work included autopsies, which was not normal during that era. While conducting autopsies, Fuller discovered many scientific findings that allowed his career to advance while contributing to the medical communities which once shunned him. Fuller's postgraduate studies included pathology and neuropathology specifically. In 1903, Fuller was one of five specially selected clinicians chosen by Alios Alzheimer to research at the Royal Psychiatric Hospital at Munich University. My wife, who is a school counselor, was interested to hear Chapter 7, which talks about Albert Sidney Beckham and Ruth Howard, who were the first African-American school psychologist and the first African-American woman psychologist. Finally, we have Kenneth Clark and Mammy Phillips Clark. Quote, the Clarks made significant contributions in showing the harmful effects of racial segregation on black children and conducted extensive research on race, self-esteem, and child development. During the time period that Kenneth and Mammy were building their foundation in child psychology, Eric Erickson and Margaret Mead were also sharing their examinations into children and child care practices. However, they did not mention the effects of racism on children's racial identity, so the Clark's work is truly of great importance. They were also the creators of the Clark doll test, which was an experiment in which they utilized a black doll and a white doll to study children's attitudes about race. They asked which doll was nice and which doll was bad, and which doll most looked like the child. The results were that most children identified the black doll as the bad doll, and many children identified themselves with the white doll. The reasoning behind those who identified with the black doll also disturbed the Clarks, as one boy in Arkansas chose the doll and said, I'm a nigger, that's a nigger. This experiment played a substantial role in the Brown versus Board of Education case, and the Clarks provided expert testimony demonstrating the harmful effects of segregation on children. The Supreme Court ruled that separate is not equal, and that racial segregation in the United States was unconstitutional. The Clarks also discuss how, quote, it became apparent that intelligence tests were being used to place students of color into special education, which can still be seen today, as black children are underrepresented in gifted and talented programs. According to the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights, black students' placement in special education has increased every year since 1968. Black students are overrepresented in the categories of intellectual disability and emotional disturbance. Black students in special education are more likely to have more restrictive placements, such as self-contained classrooms, compared to students of other ethnicities. 
They spend more time away from the general education population than white students. Many educational facilities remain segregated due to socioeconomic status within society. This form of modern segregation is far from a myth and very damaging to low-income African Americans. Much like systemic racism, matriculated whiteness came about because no stipulation outlined how Americans would implement integration moving forward. This has caused a harmful loophole that has psychologically imprisoned African Americans' minds for far too long and must be dismantled. So those are just a few things that jumped out to me as I read through this book, which is packed with lots of information about the achievements of African-American professionals who have contributed immensely to the field of psychology, mental health, psychiatry, etc. And so I hope that you will check out the link in the show notes and give this book a read. I read it all in one sitting. Uh, It won't take you more than two hours to read. So thank you so much for listening and take care. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast, and best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance.